Hello everybody, welcome to the episode. I'm Nathan Davis from restaurant SY23 in Aberystwyth, which is on the west coast of Wales. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk about cooking over fire. New series, new name, new artwork, but I had to keep that cheesy music. Yes, a podcast with me, Paul Newbegin, has returned, but we have rebranded. We are now the Chef Social Podcast, and we are sponsored in partnership with Hospitality Rewards. Hospitality Rewards is the first and only employee benefit program for people that work in hospitality. The website and app gives members access to a range of features and benefits. And actually, we talk about it on each episode, but I think some of the benefits, I think maybe the benefit that um, particularly Kenny Atkinson, who uses it, um, he loved the most was the, the 24-7 support for mental health, mental and physical health, and financial health as well. Obviously, especially in these times, how useful is that? But also, you know, you can save on things like gym membership, discounted shopping vouchers, there's a cashback card, cinema tickets for those rare days off, and trade discounts from the likes of Oliver Harvey, Shoes for Cruise, and KitchenAids, and of course, the perks, and we talk about the perks in the episodes, but there are exclusive perks and industry discounts at venues across the UK, and the reason why we wanted to partner is really to start to give back, and give back as a thank you to all the guests, so we will be inviting everyone that's a guest to um, come on and join the app as well for free as a little thank you but uh, they won't know that ahead of the ahead of the call so it'd be a nice little surprise for them hopefully enjoy today's episode Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I've got a little bit of a smoky in my voice today. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna persevere, and hopefully, mostly you're going to be doing the talking, right? So, um, if listeners think I sound a bit smoky and interesting, then that's why. Um, listen, you know, this has been a long while in in the making for me because I followed your your career for quite some time, and with the restaurant, and obviously we had a brief chat in preparation for today's episode uh, yesterday, and I I kind of got the the slight feeling that it's just um obviously I'm sure you had hopes you had aspirations you had goals with the restaurant but I just got a slight sense that it may be taking you a bit by surprise how well it's going because it's really blown up for you hasn't it and I'm so pleased it's been um nothing short of a whirlwind for me if I'm honest with you um you know we we sort of opened up a restaurant thinking it was just going to be some casual little Restaurant. I'd, I'd worked at a fantastic restaurant before that, and um, sort of coming branching off and doing my own thing. For me, initially was the idea was let's let's have some family time. Let's just have some chill. I, I still wanted to enjoy my cooking. I still wanted to cook well, um, and I had had ambition with it. But I never I never had the ambition of this. I never I never thought that I would be, you know, invited onto podcasts, doing TV stuff, doing um books um you know that's it, it's kind of took them t- taken me a, a little bit by surprise and in the best possible way you know um it was initially 
a 20-seater restaurant. We had a separate bar area that was just like a cocktail bar. And, and I wanted to do Pintos. Like, I'd, I'd just come back from a holiday, or like, a, like a business trip, really. I was cooking um, with with Gareth, my old mentor, um, at the OAD, um, that's basically opinion on dining, top 100 restaurants in Europe. And we were a new entry in the last restaurant I was at. So we were invited to cook at this award ceremony, and, and I went to San Sebastian to do it. Um, so we had one day cooking and four days partying, and I basically just I a tough rate, tough ratio, yeah, a tough gig. <laughs> um, yeah, someone's got to do it. But we went there and we just ate the the pintos of the sort of the bar culture, the sort of small plates, proper cool tapas, or, you know, really authentic local food. Um, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to do really, really cool little dishes that, um, you know, not, not straightforward in, in anything, but, but delivery wise, it's straightforward. It's nice. You can do, you know, a bit of volume. You can, you can kind of, you know, and it takes pressure off a little bit. Um, and it just didn't, it hasn't ended up like that at all, to be honest with you. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of gone the exact polar opposite of what I was expecting, which I'm so proud of how it's gone, um, and I think it's even more of a beautiful thing because it's something that I wasn't expecting to happen, really. So I think so many of us put ourselves under such pressure, thinking, like, I want to achieve this, I want to achieve that, I've got a deadline for this, this is my three-year, my five-year, my ten-year plan. And by the time you finished, you're like, you've kind of, you've been so focused on the next step or the next part of your three-year plan that you you, you don't absorb the current things that happen to you and um i've been able to take it all in to be honest and, and just enjoy it because there was yeah. no there was no end goal there was no like by the end of year one we must do this by the end of year three so i've loved it like i, I have it's been incredibly hard um and much harder than i was expecting um but you know what i've loved it and i've been able to surround myself with such beautiful people that have made it happen and made it work for us and it's been just class. I want to talk about your career, but I'm, I'm interested. Um, what was the kind of catalyst or the spark behind wanting to, to open up the restaurant? Was it just time time for you or was it those ideas that you had? Or, you know, what was the kind of or the lead up to it like? The, the biggest the biggest one actually was um, was was that trip to San Sebastian. And, you know, I, I tried food there that I, I was I was really happy in my restaurant that I was working at at the time. You know, I was working in a fantastic restaurant. Um, I was the head chef there. Um, you know, me and Gareth had a fantastic relationship, and there was never a quest to go out there and do something. I wasn't hungry to go and do my own thing. Uh, me and Gareth had spoken a lot about doing doing something together in the future, and for one reason or another, every time we went to see a site or when we went to go and see something, it just didn't really work out. And um, it just wasn't meant to be you know i wasn't i wasn't thinking like my time here is done um but i went went to san sebastian and saw the way they cooked and i thought what what they're cooking here will never work in where i work at the moment um and then the second the, so that was the that was the the seed that was sown really and then the second thing is uh, like i said earlier i was i was i was pretty fatigued to be honest with you i'd worked high intensity for like 4 years um and I was driving home from work one night and I, I fell asleep. And um, luckily for me, I was driving a big truck um, and it was three o'clock in the morning. So all I did is hit the bank, 
and it jolted me immediately back awake. And I was like, this is too much. This is, I'm burning the candle at both ends. Wow. This is yeah. This is a bit much. Wake up call. Wake yeah. up call. And, and it was. And like, you know, ironically, the place where I fell asleep was directly opposite my kid's school. And I was like, you know what? Like, if ever there's a message to be sent, it's this one. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm not a party. I, I, I'm not that sort of person. It, it's not, you know, I wasn't going out. I've got a family and stuff. So it was just purely exhaustion from work. And I was just like, you know what? I need to change this. Uh, I need a break. And those two things combined were basically what led me on to do what we've done now, which is which is open up. And, um, you know, I always wanted to stay in town. I always wanted to stay in the area that I grew up in, which is which is really, I mean, I was born in the Midlands, but, but Wales is home. And, um, and Aberystwyth in particular is home. And um, I, didn't, I didn't want to venture off. I didn't want to move away. I wanted to be here. So once those two things happened, and then there was an opportunity that arose in the, in the sort of quick succession with those things, um, then I sort of looked at it and thought, you know what, I think we can do something here. So, And Wales as a food scene um, in the last few years, my voice really is interesting, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Not putting it, I hope it's not putting you on. Great, yeah. Um, a lot, yeah. Is it good? Is it good? <laughs> One second. <laughs> we try again. <laughs> Wales as a food scene is really interesting, isn't it? In these last few years, it's really, um, really coming on, isn't it? It's amazing to see that there's so many things that are happening in Wales, and you know. Like I said before, I'm a proud Welshman. I'm not born in Wales, but you know what? I love it. This is home. And for so many years when I was growing up, you had to go away. You had to move away. You had to go and do something because the first thing here was crap. Um, you know, it was catered for tourism. It was um, basically directed at making good money out of shit produce for nine months of the year and then close it down for the winter. And that's basically what, what it was. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a business model that's worked for them for for, you know, for, for decades um, since it was like booming in the 70s or whatever else. Um, but now what we're seeing is people that can't afford to open up in bigger cities, you know, like London and things like that, um, or not necessarily because they don't want, they can't afford it, but they want to do something different. Um, and, they're going and they're, they're creating these amazing restaurants um, all over the country that are, that are now, you know, and and I think with the Welsh food scene as well, there's quite a lot of camaraderie. There's there's very little um, competition, sort of, especially when you meet meet the guys that are doing good things. There's very very little competition between us. It's camaraderie, and everyone's rooting for everybody because. The better we do as a as a country, as an area, a county, everything else, the better everybody does. So there's there's that thing, you know, like one of the proudest days for us as a restaurant was when we got a Michelin star. But, you know, Gareth got his second Michelin star the same day, which couldn't have been better, to be honest with you. Um, so we all got together and we celebrated. Yeah. All of our teams went to the local pub um, and absolutely drunk it dry. Um, but... There's that thing where they were proud of us, we were proud of them, and there's a lot of other amazing little blazes that are popping up here, there, and everywhere. And you just go, you know what, you tip your cap because you know that when they, they open, really are, yeah, yeah, when they open out out in the middle of nowhere, it's brave, it's quite bold. You've got yeah, our big <laughs> Did you notice the difference in being in Aberystwyth Centre as opposed to being 
in the middle of nowhere where where Gareth is. Yes, massively, and and it's a really good thing for me actually, um, because had I have gone from what was a country, it's not, it's by by no means a country house hotel anymore, and it's here. But if you, if I'd have gone from what that was, which was a restaurant with rooms in a rural location, to another restaurant with rooms, rural location, or a country house hotel, I feel like. Um, it would have been more samey and I think the experience would have ended up being not the same because what they do is very different to what, what I do. Um, but it's more comparable. Whereas actually going into a town centre restaurant where there's lots of foot traffic, um, there's, it's a very, and I, and I mean, you'll probably say the same thing when you go to a country house hotel or a, or a restaurant with rooms so remote You'll you'll drive down the driveway and you submerge yourself in that environment, which is very different to staying in a different hotel in town, popping into that restaurant, having a lovely lunch or dinner, and then going back to the other. So I think it's good for me, um, and it's really benefited me being in town because it's given me a chance to break away from that um, and put more of my own stamp on it, really. Um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of time for that, you know, that kind of, Breakaway was great, and it's all different. Very, very different, really. That our guests are different um, because it's a different thing. It's not a retreat. It's yeah. a dinner or a lunch or, or whatever. Else. So, so that's quite different. Like you said, there are there are similarities in some ways, but I I remember thinking that myself. Like it is, I follow you both, and I followed you both for years. There are a lot of a lot of differences, so I wanted to use it as a, this as a chance to, like I say, go over your career and I know obviously like you talk about this trip that gave you a lot of inspiration, but there must have been more as well that you learned throughout the years that gave you, um, you know, the bits that that you've used now. And obviously, one the topic that we'll we'll start to talk about eventually is cooking over fire, and I'm I'm interested to know where that comes in as well throughout all your your journey. So give us a Give us a whistle stop through your career and, and where you were kind of picking ideas. Um, so basically, from the very beginning, from the start, um, my my dad's family um, were really into cooking. They were, you know, they were. I used to go and spend time with my nan. Um, we'd walk sort of, we'd walk the hedgerows with my granddad. We'd pick berries. We'd pick, you know, damsons, all that sort of stuff. Take them back to to my nan, and we'd make preserves. We'd make jams. We'd make pickles. All that sort of stuff. And we were doing that from, you know six or seven years old it wasn't like a um wasn't something that i've suddenly done since since having a restaurant and everything else and like that nordic thing you know that scene that kind of exploded 10 12 years ago um we were doing the sort of more humble things of the you know, of that when i was six years old um so it's that's kind of been ingrained that like preserving that you know not quite for it i mean i say we forage because it's easier to explain it as foraging but we're not mushroom fanatics. We're not, you know, we can't tell you every single type of mushroom, every single type of plant that grows well. So I'm not a forager. I just do a bit of foraging. Um, and that's something that's always interested me because I've, I've always had a fascination with like countryside. Hey, well, you'll be pleased to know we've got an episode on foraging this season. Ah. So perhaps you can, you can listen in and take some tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll need them. Um, so when it started off for me quite humble beginnings really with that sort of stuff. And then, um, I've always known from from 10, 12 years old when you're kind of thinking about what you're going to do, um, I've always known I want to be a chef. There was never a point where I thought I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a fireman. You know, 
it's always for me. It's always been cooking. Um, kind of a fireman. Oh, sorry. Kind of a fireman. You're like the opposite. Oh, well, fire. Don't put them out. She's um. <laughs> so, I couldn't resist. Sorry. <laughs> so, definitely didn't want to be a fire. No, I need the fire. Don't put a fire out for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like. I went. I went to school. Did my do my bits and bobs. Went to college. Did MVQ. And then um, I, being in this part of the world at that time, I had to go away. So I went to to London for a little while. It just wasn't for me. I, you know, I went there. Worked at a big restaurant. Um, it was it was nice and busy. Taught me lots of discipline. Um, taught me how to move, how to prep fast. Uh, but it was, you know, not all restaurants in London are conveyor belts, and I appreciate that completely. But but a lot of them have to make a lot of money because otherwise they can't survive. And this was one of those restaurants that, you know, you, you had to convey about it a bit. It was, I wasn't really learning a great deal other than the military side of cooking. Um, so, so from there, really, oh, um, so for me there, I went to, to work in uh, Kutcher House Hotels. And that's where I really, I really cut my teeth and really learned my trade. So, um, I worked at one with a with a fantastic chef um, called Sean, who kind of took me under his wing a little bit for for a few years and um, really opened my eyes up to what was out there. Um, you know, I sort of went to him as some young buck that had done a year in London and you know, and then went to a country house hotel where it was like pace hit the floor. Everything was about making things lovely, making things nice, rather than like getting it out and getting ready for your next service. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved that job. Um, don't get me wrong, there were shit parts of it, but but in the whole, I loved it. Um, and, you know, he had a, an office full of these expensive cookbooks, which were beautiful. You, you know, he'd lend them me, I'd read them, and it was, you know, when I was first getting into it, I was like, research, oh, my God, that guy's a, you know, the best pastry chef ever. And you'll just read his book. and be, So so he really, really had a massive impact on me. Um and then from there, um, I went off and did a few little bits and bobs restaurant-wise, nothing, nothing really major. Um, and then I went, I was a private chef in France, so kind of continuing like the sort of countryside thing, and I loved loved skiing. I'd been a few times. Uh, me and my wife went and, and ran a private house in France in the mountains, um, and it wasn't a big ski resort. It was just a little village that had access to a ski lift, which then you could ski into the three valleys. and. It was, it was ace. And at the time of time of my career, really, I was just you know, I'd I'd done a lot of hours. I'd sort of, I'd done a lot for I was young, early twenties or whatever it was. Um, and it was just ace to take a break. You know, I was cooking for people. I knew exactly what what dietaries would have. I knew exactly how many guests would have. You know, I was cooking for twelve or thirteen people at the time. Um, and it was a chance for me to just like be a bit experimental. Um, embrace the French culture and cuisine, so I did a bit of that. Um, so I did that for a year, and then um, we we basically found out we're having a little one, so we're we're having a, a child. Um, and then I, I thought, like, right, we need to come back to Wales. We need to get settled down. Um, and I went to go and work for for Gareth for a few, uh, probably six or seven months. Um, couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it. Uh, it was it was a tough gig. To be honest, in the early days, um, it was an old kitchen. It was an old country house hotel styled dining, and then Gareth turns up with this very, very different approach. Um, and to be honest with you, at the time, it was just too much for me. I just couldn't, 
I couldn't deal with it. Um, it was hardcore to say SAS of kitchens. Really, it was it was fucking nuts. I think he's I think he's spoken about that quite a lot, hasn't he? Quite openly as well. But yeah, that's, uh, you know what? It was it was great to be part of that because then when I left, we stayed in touch. We didn't we didn't um, leave on bad terms or anything like that. We were you know we stayed friends. My wife stayed on there for a little while. Um, and I went to work at, you know, a seaside um, hotel. And then I basically returned. So once once the little one was big enough to sort of go to school and, like, the pressure was off a little bit, um, I went back because I saw him advertise for for some jobs. So I, I went back there. Uh, and it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, you know, I went back there. It was a very different – I mean, don't get me wrong, it was still very hard. Um, it was a very tough environment to be in. But – everything was going in the right direction. So, so the, you know, it was, it was tough, but it wasn't, it was tough in a very different way to the first time. So the first time was just, you know, it was not butting heads with me in the kitchen, but, but the service style out front and the kitchen and the, and everything was just disjointed and everything was like knocking heads. And to be honest with you, at the time, Gareth was doing stuff that, you know, it, it was amazing, but it just wasn't being translated to out in the dining room. And it, there was, there was frustration everywhere. Whereas the second time I went back, um, it, it had changed significantly. Um, Gareth had become a, a part owner in the business and, and had much more free reign with what was being done. So that was beautiful because it kind of everything opened up and there was a lot more transparency across everything. And then, you know what, we, we went on to have an amazing few years. Yeah, um, look what's happened. <laughs> yeah, we won everything that we, we could have won apart from the two stars when I was there. Um, we had a few years and then and then the opportunity came to me with uh with opening somewhere in Harrisworth and and that's where we are now. So um I want to talk about um you on Great British menu as well because quite a lot of people that I speak and spoken to sort of say that they struggle to get their their style across. And like I say as we transition now to your kind of masterclass if you like on cooking over fire, there's there's you in a competition and you literally as at, if I remember correctly, building the barbecues and um um building your cooking apparatus that you're gonna that you're gonna cook over um how how important is was that to you to do things like that uh, it was a if I couldn't have done it I wouldn't have done the show um it was a conditional thing for me I, I didn't I didn't want to go there and you know I learned my trade cooking in pots and pans that's fine I'm quite comfortable with it I'd be okay I think but it's not my style um and for me the restaurant is you know, it's my style of, of cooking and to go onto a competition or to go onto, you know, just to put yourself out there in mainstream media really and, and go, this is me, but this is a different style of cooking. You know, it would be, it would be wrong because I think that people, you know, guests that would be traveling a significant distance and spending a significant amount of money would come and they've been sold something that's completely different. And I think you've got to be so careful with, with how you portray yourself as your food style and everything else. I mean, you could have gone on that show and, you know, there's been some, so take it for example, there's been some amazing, amazing chefs that have done some really beautiful things. Like, um, like there was an amazing pie the year before mine. Um, and it was, it was a stunner, you know, the, the lady that cooked it had loads of different layers, beautiful pastry, and she did really, really well in the competition. I think she might have even won the main course. Um, yeah, 
I'm thinking about Roberta, right? That's it, it was Roberta, yeah. Um, so, you know, that sort of stuff has always done quite well on, on Great British Menu, with the old judges especially. So I think it would have been safer for me to have gone there and done, like, a great beef Wellington really, really well, um, and then done some beautiful vegetables. And, and I love that sort of food. It's not that I don't like it, but then when people would come to the restaurant, they're not going to have that. So then they go, what's this fucking clown sold me? I've, I've, got, I've traveled this far because yeah. this guy has, has showed me that he's going to have an amazing beef Wellington, and they get there and they get... Yeah. And it's got a barbecue out. They've got a piece of beef grilled over the fire, and they go, hang on a second. Um, so, so for me, the... the it was really, it was, and it was quite a nervous thing for me to be honest with you to do the competition and to kind of take the barbecue style there um, and and hope that it did well because it hadn't really been done before. Um, no, you know, I think that's why you, I think that's why you stood out so strongly. I think, like I say, like it was, it was like you were bringing your restaurant into their kitchen. Yeah, that's it, and and I'm really chuffed with how it went. Um, I was really nervous because I thought. You know, when somebody does something for the first time, you're either gonna you're either gonna go really well, and people are gonna say, "Fair play, mate, you've done well, eh? you've been brave," or it goes bad, and they go, "What a clown! Like, what's this guy doing?" Um, and for me, if I'd have turned up there and not done anything any good, having built the barbecues for it, um, you know, have had a heavy involvement in stuff like the props and built loads of bits and mobs, I'd have been quite embarrassed. Um, where does that hand, handyman side come in if you can literally build the things? Um, where does that come from? Is it just practice over the years? Or? Yeah, but, I mean, when I grew up, we, we, you know, we're quite fortunate, really, with the way that we grew up. Um, my dad was always quite keen on us you know, being skilled. He's a tradesman. My brothers are both tradesmen. Um, my mum was a hairdresser. So we've always been like a, you know, sort of handy family. Um, and we used to restore classic cars. So, um We'd always have a project of sorts in the back of the uh, of the garage, um, and that's where I basically learned how to do you know a bit of metal working and so on. I mean, my first car was a nineteen seventy two Hillman Imp, which if anybody knows them, they're a proper piece of shit. So you you really need to know how to fix things if you're going to drive one of those. Um, so I've always had a bit of a dabble, and then and basically like got a house with a with a little garage. I mean, it's a tiny little garage, but turned it into a workshop and then just watched a million YouTube videos of like how to make it decent and then just tweaked it. So keep tweaking the design. And after a couple of years of playing around, it was just like, yeah, cool. We got this. Um, and then I just built a massive version of it for the, for the restaurant. Well, I know there's, you know, there's probably was quite a bit of definitely barbecuing and cooking over fire in this year. But I wonder when you started your restaurant, how much about it did you know? And, you know, how did you then go about educating yourself? Because like I say, it's a completely different discipline. And that's what I want to try and get my head around is, you know, if I'm if I'm sort of day one and I want to start to educate myself in it, I'm going to learn from the master, a.k.a. you. How did you go about doing that? Um, well, and I say it was very different barbecuing. So um, we used a big green, we used one of the, the little big green eggs. But a lot of the stuff there was was like water bath and then finished on the barbecue or we would cook it on the plancher and then finish it on the barbecue. So um, when I was at Innocent, and I think it's changed a lot now, but when I was at Innocent, a lot of the cooking there was finishing over, so you're getting that beautiful caramelization at the end of cooking, 
rather than cooking things through on fire. So it was very different, like going from that where you were finishing meats and fish on a barbecue to actually cooking them throughout. And I used to do, I used to do a little bit of barbecuing. So when I was at NSA, like days off and stuff, I, I probably had 12, 18 months before I left, I started really getting into barbecuing and I was, you know, watch if I was, if I'd watched something cooking wise on television, for example, I'd always be looking for like barbecue, like what, what are they doing? What are this guy doing? Like, you know, the briskets and stuff. We don't, we don't cook like we, we grill basically like our, our cooking style over fire is grilling. It's not, um, it's not like the deep South where they'll like, they're not cooking hogs where they'll cook them for, you know, a day. Um, ours is more Argentinian, more Basque, very, very quick, hot grilled, um, which was very different again to what we'd kind of been used to. So, um, when we first opened, I mean, when you can cook, you can cook. So if you if you know what a, a nice piece of fish needs to look like, you'll get there. It might not be pretty at the beginning, and there's a few things that we did we learned along the way, like different meshes to use on the fire rather than using the grill bars and so that sort of stuff. Like you know, that was just when I was when since since opening there, really we, we were just playing and we're like, oh, that works better. We'll do that. Um, but I think having the core training, classic training of French cooking of, you know, that, that sort of Nordic stuff and the, the Japanese stuff that I got from in here at the end. Um, that was like your core training. And then the rest of it is refinement. So when you go from cooking over a hob or on a plancher, it's, you're still looking for the same results. You're just using a different thing. So it's, it's not as fearful as people kind of think it is because at first you think like, Oh my God, you know, I can cook on a plancher, I can cook on a griddle, I can cook on a whatever else in a pan. And if you know what the piece of salmon or pieces, whatever it is, it needs to look like, you're only changing what you're cooking it on. Mm. I think that's my thing, actually. It does seem a bit more because of fire in its nature, so wild yeah. and this thing that, like you say, we're taught to tame and I know you didn't want to be a fireman, but we're taught to put it out and stop, drop and roll and all these things. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's like, do you know what I mean? There's, yeah, like I said, there's probably something, like it is a fear almost. Like, yeah. And I, and I was like, fearful as well when I first started. I was thinking like, what what have I done? And when I, when I opened the restaurant, it wasn't always going to be like a just cooking over fire thing. It was, it was just that we had a big old grill to, to grill some nice food and um it was never going to be as there was going to be a grill in the focus of of the food but it was never going to be as heavily involved as it is now it was it was always intended to be like um you know we'll grill things we'll finish things we'll, we'll do that this that, and the other whereas now it's just an integral part of everything but um once we got once you get over the bar and when we have new chefs start with us i mean to be honest, upstairs in the in the fine dining restaurant, we don't really have new chefs. We've had the same team for two and a half years. Um, you know, no, none of the chefs have changed, so we don't have it so much downstairs. But in the casual dining, where we cook things in a very similar way, the 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 immediate thing is like standoff, like you say, like oh fire, oh how am I gonna? But as soon as as soon as you manage the fire, then everything becomes it's no different than turning the solid top on, because yeah. Once you've once you know how to manipulate the fire and to you know to move move the fire around like get the shovel in there rake it out get it even fan it to get it hot build it up to get it so once you've got those 
those basic techniques in the first few weeks or first maybe six, eight weeks of cooking over fire. After that, then you just go, that's it. You just go back into that and it, and it's yeah, sure. as any other job. So um, when we first started, we didn't really know what we're doing. We played around with it a lot. Um, but now we don't, I wouldn't say we experiment that much anymore. We kind of, we found what we really love um, and we're enjoying cooking that way. So we do cook, you know, stuff in the embers. We do we do cook things on the on the higher racks of the fire and cook them really really slowly and you know but we've we've decided really that we are we grill and that's it we we're not like a a smoky restaurant we're a we're a restaurant that grills. So the one thing I know about um, you know chefs of like especially chefs of your caliber is that you won't do things for the sake of doing them right. So what is it in your in your palate, in your restaurant, in the dishes that you do, what is it that cooking over fire brings to the dish? Um, it's it's just it brings a certain energy to it. I think I think that some of the stuff that we do doesn't necessarily taste like it's been cooked over the fire, which is a good thing. I think um, you, you know I think some people's immediate impressions is when they get there, everything's going to be smoky, and actually, very very little of what we cook is smoky, um, because We'll cook over embers, not over logs. So, so the logs will have burnt down into hot coals by the time we come to cook over them, and they're not smoking. You know, they're hot. Um, some things we will smoke, but but very very few things. Um, but I love the connection that it gives us, um, and it also opens up opportunities for us to cook things like like if we take our scallop that was on Great British Menu this year. Um, now, the way that we caramelise that is we drop it straight onto the embers of the fire. We use these really small little meshes, basically, like really, really thin, probably like, you know, 0.8 of a mil um, in, in steel mesh. And we drop that on the fire just to uh, just so that we can lift it off easier. Um, and we put the scallops directly onto it. And, yeah, you can cook them in a pan, fine. But there's no way in a million years you're getting a pan that hot. So what happens then is that, that caramelisation that you get, is, is almost like a crunch to the top of it. it. It dries, and because the mesh allows all of the moisture to, to, to drop out of the, the scallop once it's caramelised, so in a pan, however hot you get it, you put your scallop in, the moisture that comes out of that scallop when you cook it goes in the pan. So we get such a dry, lovely crust to the top of it that then we, we allow it to rest. So then we lift it up and put it on the fire again, that kind of using the, the fire as a, as a as a stove really lifted it up above that heat sort of trans uh, sort of goes through the scallop so you get two very very different textures now if we've we've tried this in pans and the guys um that work in the restaurant like um last christmas charlie took some took some scallops and he cooked them at christmas time and um he sent a picture on the group and he was just taking the piss because he's like they were caramelized beautifully but they just were not the same texture um so it's that that ability to cook things in different ways so you know when you chuck a beetroot or you chuck potatoes in the embers of the fire and you get that lovely sort of smoky i mean the outside's like bark it's it's rock hard it's it's dry it's nasty and then inside it's really lovely and soft and you know almost got a sweetness to it with a with a subtlety of smoking um so it's cooking with cooking with it in different ways is kind of what appeals to me um and 
you can you can then adjust the taste. So not necessarily just the smokiness, but if if we're cooking over birch logs, for example, um, we'll get that sweet sort of almost maple like uh, quality of smoke in there and and um, and sweetness. So that when we when we're cooking like the the lamb and we're rendering the lamb fat down, it really does take it on. You get almost like a smoky bacon flavour. I, I wanted to ask how important what you cook it over is like the log to use or like how how important is that yeah it's as important i would say it's as important as temperature so um which i know sounds like a really weird way of putting it but um it's as important as temperature so when we're building fires for example we're thinking about like how hot it needs to be and what it's going to what it's going to be built of um we use a lot at the moment we use ash um because of the ash dieback so it's it's a nice sustainable way of us using it because we've got a local chap, he's about two and a half miles away. Uh, he produces the bulk of our charcoal, um, especially for the fine dining restaurant. We do we do supplement it with for the downstairs, but um, that's just because he's so small he can't really supply that much. But the ash charcoal is a good neutral because it doesn't have a lot of smoke to it. It's not um, ash burns really nice and clean anyway, but it doesn't have um, an overbearing flavour in any way on the food it just gets beautiful and hot and it burns clean as a whistle and then if we want to add smoke to it this time of year we'll, we'll add stuff like um beach so beach burns really hot it's got a it's got a, a quite a heavy smoke to it so um if we're putting a saddle or something over the fire and we just want to finish it off with some some lovely delicate smoke we'll we'll get the the logs burnt off and i don't like to use logs that are still burning i like to use them when they're burnt so um Purely because with a taste menu, I don't think it's good to have something so aggressively smoky. So um, we'll put, you know, if we're going to smoke something heavily, it would it would have to be at the sort of tail end of the menu or just before the sweets, because otherwise, I think you just like whatever you eat afterwards is just too intense. But we burn, we use burnt out logs, not burning logs, um, and we'll use bit of beech uh, and a bit of birch this time of year. Um, oak. I try and avoid oak because it's just it's too it's too much. It's like you know, like when you get a really sort of smoky whiskey, and it's kind of like overpowers a beautiful whiskey. It's the same thing for yeah. me. Um, it's, it's honestly so interesting, like you say, to know like how different it can be. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. So what my, my my question now is like you know it, it's always been around right cooking over fire and using fire and if to think of wood fire ovens yeah. in pizza restaurants right but in my mind anyway you might disagree with me there is no doubt that it's getting more and more yeah. popular in fine dining restaurants using fire in some way be it our Conro grills be it you mentioned the big green egg barbecues. Um, I had one like was always like those kind of mangle style grills, you know, where they can proper crank them and Class. lift them up and and down like that. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is getting so much more popular and so much more wider use? Um, I think the best way to answer it is like what the reason that I've started doing it really, and it's because I want to become more in tune with what's going on. Um, and I think I think that's where it comes from as well. I think. Um, I, I loved cooking the way I used to cook. I did love it. I got loads of satisfaction from it. But there is something incredibly addictive with cooking over fire. And I think a little bit of it ends up being a lot of it very, very quickly. So, you know, I think we're so disconnected with our food as a as a country, really, and, and as, a, as a world, really. You know, we buy packaged things 
It's got a used by date on it. It's got, you know, country of origin, which nobody ever looks at anyway. But basically, you don't have to be that involved with your food to eat food. You can literally just buy something. You can buy a ready-made salad. You don't even need to dress. Um, and I think that it's kind of, there's people that want to go the other side of that. So they want to become more in tune with what they're doing. Uh, certainly for me anyway. Um, the thrill of the fire is just like nothing else. You know, there's there's that thing where, you know, you're you're building a fire for service. It's it's a beautiful feeling when you've built a fire that is perfect for service. And like we bring all of our guests up at the same time. And the reason for that is because we want to get the fire perfect for when we start the menu. And when we start the menu, we we organize the courses not necessarily in the way that um, eat best. We do that does come into account, but we have to write the menu with how we will cook them. So, if, for example, like the scallop course, we need an incredibly hot fire. It needs to be at the beginning of the menu because we need to cook it soon while the fire's big. But then that same fire would completely destroy a piece of lamb because it wouldn't render slow enough. It would just flare up and fire, and it would be burnt and carbonite, and it would be it would be horrible. So, the lamb is as far away from the scallop as it possibly can be. So that we can. Yeah, I didn't even think. I didn't even think about that because obviously you're using the same fire throughout the night, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we keep feeding it as we go, but um, but generally it's it's basically the same fire, and you know we need to make sure that that we we think about that when when we're writing the menu. Um, yeah, that's. I hadn't even crossed because I I thought that it would change how you necessarily think about the dishes you know and i wanted to talk because you've already given the scallop dish i want you to give a couple of examples of some dishes where you know cooking fire has really gone into it but i never thought like you say as a menu as a whole that's obviously a really valid point it's something that didn't occur to us at the beginning because we used to sort of um we'd we'd write the menu and then be like Cool. We'll, we'll try and pull bits of the fire and try to balance. And then it got to a point where I was like, "What are we doing? Like, let's. What? Are we, why are we? Why are we fighting this? Let's just, you know, let's go out to this in a more logical way." Um, and it works out so much better. You know, we we sort of we we're, we're more in control of everything. Um, but and that's the thing. Like, you're never fully in control of it, which I think is why the attraction to cooking over fire is there. Um, because you get, of course you get the flavors very different. The techniques are different and new, and that's kind of intriguing in itself because you're going to have cooked for 15 years, 17 years, 18 years, whatever it was, um, and then you start cooking over fire, and you're, back to, you're not back to square one in terms of how you want it to come out, but you're back to square one with you know, management of the fire and, and how you're going to cook it. So I think that's, that's definitely kept my you know, interest into, into cooking because, you know, not that I would have give up if I didn't start cooking on fire, but you know, it. I need to be interested in what I'm doing. I need to be engaged in it, otherwise, it, it can be really boring. You know, like water bath cooking, I know that water baths are brilliant for so many, so many things, but there's a lot of places that open a water bath and, and blowtorch the top of something, and I just couldn't imagine doing that. And I, I, there's nothing wrong with it at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It, it's consistent for those people and. It fits. Yeah, different strokes for different folks, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, but I just—it's just really—it's not for me. Um, and those guys will look at what we do and just go, "What are you doing?" So, um, yeah. But I just love—I love love the fact that every day is very different. 
and every day yeah. the flavors are different and you know the setup is is the same but the outcome is always always marginally different and it's just exciting give us another dish then talk us for a dish from the restaurant where you know cooking over fire has either changed the way or it's really gone into the flavor profile or you know like a similar example to the scallop dish give us a another dish to tantalize us please um probably the one that's there's a couple actually. I'll I can, I can do a couple because the, the the first one, the turbot the turbot dish, is kind of um, the first thing that I did on Great British Menu. The first time I did it, so I did it. Um, I can't you remember? Twenty twenty, I think it was. We recorded it in twenty twenty, but it was out in twenty twenty one, early twenty one, um, and we did a turbot dish there for that. Um, and it was where we cooked the turbot in a clamp, so like a Basque style. And if you're not familiar, familiar with a clamp, it's basically like a wire um, exoskeleton of a, of a fish. And you pop your fish into it, close it down, and then it just protects it, holds it. Um, I think that was a good example, actually, one of, of what it was. It was quite on the spot. Um, and basically, you, you just you can hold it. It makes it easy for turning it over and over. Um and sort of cooking each side, and then we lift it up and put it on the racks and just let it smoke and, and sort of finish off over the embers. But um, we did we did that dish for Great British Menu, and it was the first ten out of ten we got um, as a restaurant, really. And 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 I always say this because it's it's true, but that transformed the restaurant because it made people look at us in a very different way. Because you go onto a TV show, and Tommy Banks was the the chap that was judging us. Um, who, thank God, he just got, you know, when I saw him come through the door, I was like, yes, you know what, he, you know, he's a man after my own heart, really, you know, we, we've, we're very, we're not the same in, in anything, but I think we see things in very similar ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I started cooking, I thought, oh, you know what, we're in for the, he's going to see this for what it is. And it was, you know, he gave us a 10 out of 10 and then, you know, overnight, really, it did change things. Um, and we still serve that, that dish now in the restaurant. So it's a big, beautiful turbot that we cook uh, over the fire. So what we do first is we dry it. So we'll hang it up with, with butcher's hooks inside a little fridge. And our fridge has is, is got a few bricks of, of Himalayan salt in there. So um, it just dries the outside. So the skin becomes almost like leather. And when we cook that over the fire, it stops that skin from breaking. So um, the fish is cooked whole, so we all we do is is, is clear the gills um, and and degut and everything else. But it it goes over the fire. That leathery skin just holds in all the moisture. It you know the fish is really meaty anyway, but it, it's it's grilled at the same time as it's almost sort of poached a little bit, steamed a little bit with a with that skin holding everything in. Um, and we just nurse it over the fire, and we just keep turning it and turning it and turning it. Um, and we use these little skewers to keep checking the, the one the texture, uh, two the temperature, and then the third is the stickiness. So when you put it on, apply it to the bottom of your lip, you'll sort of get a little tackiness from it, and that's kind of indicating that the fish is, is getting ready, is, is cooking. Um, and then we just take it off the bone and we serve it over um, a little broth that we make with some some pickled cockles, um, which is about the most Welsh ingredient in the world. Um, we use at different times of the year lots of different things, but in like the summer we'll use peas. We use broccoli at the moment. We use sea vegetables other times, um, and then a, a little stock made from the from, comes from the cockles when we cook them, and then that beautiful big piece of meaty turbot on top, and then that skin that I, I said about that we kind of dry first. Um, 
that's that's removed. And then what we do is we we put that between two r- wire meshes, like wire racks, and we drop it onto the fire and we crisp it up, and it goes like um goes like pork crackling. Sometimes it, I think genuinely, if you were to be blindfolded and, and and giving it to eat, I think you genuinely think it was either some days it's just like chicken skin, and then other days it's like pork crackling, but really like glass thin and crispy. And then we just load that up with some sour cream and caviar. I'm ready for that. Oh. Yeah, it's all right that dish. To be honest, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, all right. That yeah, and, it, and it's one of those like we because we don't cook it in an oven. Um, if we were to set up, so you know, we put it in the Unox or something like that, and we were to set up like it's this temperature for this time, and you can put the probe in it, and it would tell you exactly when it gets to that temperature and whatever else. Um, oh, bear with me. I've got a three year old in. You okay? Uh-huh. Can I, I'm just talking to somebody. Can I can I leave you to it? Can you leave me to it? Uh... Yes, please. So the one the one question that I'm asking uh, all the guests this year is just a little chat about the kind of industry in general, right? And we're trying to kind of put a different energy into the industry, but there is a lot of problems. As again, you and I were talking about yesterday. Don't need yeah. to necessarily be too negative, but you know, with things like staffing, with things like all these, you know going on i just wanted to get you know your experience of it and the challenges that you faced yeah i mean you know we had a, we had a little chat about it yesterday and we we're kind of i think we we see it very similar that there's a lot of bad energy out there that um you know to be honest it's justified but there's also a lot of amazing stuff that happens within the industry and you know what we're a resilient bunch like this is a shit period of time for a fantastic group of people and you know what we're like it's going to be hard and we're all going to struggle but coming out the other side of it like we did with covid you know um we'll be a stronger it'll be a stronger thing afterwards <coughs> and i think what happened with covid uh, and i think what's happening with sort of finances and with staff and everything now is it's created a real transparency with with everybody so that you know whereas in the past you just had to say yeah we're fine yeah you know somebody says how are you getting on is the restaurant good you say we're busy yeah it's fine everything's ace we're having the best time of our lives whereas now i think what's if there is positive to take from it i think the positives to take from it are that um you know what people have now gone actually no it's a bit shit i'm struggling um and they can lift their hand up and say like can I have a, you know, do you want to chat? Do you want to talk? Um, which I think is only a good thing. So, you know, yeah, we're all struggling with staff. I mean, I'm very, very lucky that the staff that I have in the restaurant, the, the chefs, the front of house, we have had, we've got a casual dining area. And the casual dining area, that struggles. That struggles with staff. Um, it struggles financially at the moment because of, you know, the casual market is the one that's been hit. Um mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas it, the business plan for everybody that you know, everybody that's in the game knows that the the casual should be the one that pays the bills, and the fine dining one should be the one that like gives you your name and gives you the reputation. For us at the moment, it's the opposite way around. Um, you know, we we are struggling for it, like same as everybody else, but the casual market's being impacted the most because I think that's the people that are feeling it first. Um, and staff wise, we always struggle there. We always have done. If I'm honest with you, we probably always will do because it's more casual. But the fine dining side of the business, I haven't replaced any chefs in there. You know, when we when we first opened, we opened for like six weeks and then we closed for COVID. 
Um, and then a couple of those chefs didn't come back. They went off and did other things, which is absolutely fine because I completely leveled up when I got Charlie and Cuba. But they've been with me for two and a half years. Um, what do you put that down to then? Do you put that down to hours? Do you put it down to benefits? Do you, like How do you keep them incentivized? How do you keep like retain um, them? They firstly they're good people. Like, you know, we've got the right people for the right job. Um and you can be the most gifted chef in the universe, but if you don't fit in with the team, you do not work at SY23. It doesn't work that way. Um you know, like I'm there all the time, so that's you know a, a big thing really that we're in it together. Um, you know, I do a, a few more meetings and a few more bits and bobs than I and than I have done in the past, but um you know, they understand that and they, you know, the first couple of years, for example, it was just me and one of them and the other one was running the casual dining. Um, but we, you know, we, we're in it together and they, you know, the, the staff, for example, and the best new opening and, you know, good food guide, it's as much for them as it is for me. It will go down on their CV as they won it. They didn't just become a part of it and, you know, turn up and it was already there. Um but you know we do we do four days on and the the, the lads work and the lady, and the girls work fucking hard um, for those four days. But then we have three days off. Um, we live in a beautiful part of the world in the summer. In the winter, it's quite tough. So there's there's swings and roundabouts for everything really. And um, you know in this part of the world, we don't offer the wages that you'd get in London. But neither is it the expensive place to live. You know, in in the, during the summer, for example, here you don't really do anything other than chill at the beach, barbecue, you know, that's kind of our lifestyle, really. We'd go fishing together and and we do spend, I think, the right amount of time outside of work together. Um, you know, I don't go to all of their shindigs. And they, they don't want me there. I mean, you get the invite, but they don't want me there. I think it's. I think that's not a good thing for me to do. It would be to, you know, to spend too much time with them outside of work. But I think we spend enough quality time together outside of work where we still have that respect and that, um, that balance of, you know, when you're in work, there's a, there is a hierarchy. Of course there is. It's not heavy, but, but you know, when you say something, it needs to be done. Um, so we've just got the right people, I think, and, and that's where we're really, really lucky. Um, and we try our best to make sure that, you know, I'm always there for them. They're always there for me. Um, and it works it works really well. And unfortunately, at some point, it will change because they'll move on and do do amazing things, hopefully, and they'll go on and do better things and or open their own restaurants. Fucking God help them. Um, so, um, and, and we'll change. And then that will be the telling time for us is then, okay, cool. So that's, that's the first generation that have moved on and been successful in something else. And if we can be yeah. with our second generation, that's a test of a restaurant, really. Well, you, you've said about having mentors, you know, you will now move on. You will be the mentor, you know, now you've got your own restaurant. You'll have people come through that you want to shape and you want to help. Um, you know, the, re the reason why I'm asking everybody, so there was a couple of reasons that brought me back to doing the podcast. Because like you said, I said to you yesterday, made a difficult decision around COVID to stop doing the podcast. One of the reasons that brought me back was I always had this idea of trying to give something back to the people in the industry that are so kind to give me their time. Um, and this year I've partnered with Hospitality Rewards and they are an app that focuses solely on that kind of, you know, we all know in hospitality that everyone kind of looks after each other, but they've kind of formalized it via the app. Um, and there's things like mental health support um, and there's things like um, when you go out shopping, you can get cash back on your cards. Other restaurants that want to help out hospitality. Anyway, 
the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I'm as a thank you for your time and as effort giving back, I'm going to invite you onto the app, and I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, rewards, especially probably near Cardiff and Swansea near you, um, that will be on the app that you can use and some other benefits as well. So it's just my thank you to you, and I'm sure we can get some of your team as well using it. Ace, thanks very much, mate. Cheers. My pleasure. Final question then for you. Um, we've spoken about the whirlwind. We've spoken about the incredible ride today. And thank you so much, by the way, for talking, like I say, so eloquently and interestingly about cooking over fire. It's really perked my ideas up. Um, crystal ball time when you look into the future. What 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 do you want to achieve? What do you want to kind of, you know, do you think about that much? Where do you think the future is going to be? You know, I've already labelled you on email as what to your to your wife as one of the most exciting chefs in the country, and I genuinely genuinely mean that. Where do you see yourself going? Um, if I wanted to get as long as I'm happy and the people around me are happy, I'm quite chuffed. We've done everything I could have wished for for a career in one year. Um, so, you know, I'm just I don't really know. Um, I enjoy my cooking. I hope that in when I look at it in ten years' time, I'm still enjoying my cooking, or you know, or enjoying what I'm doing, whether it's running restaurant or restaurants. I don't know, but um, I just want to. I want to. I I need to keep surrounding myself with the people that I've got at the moment because um, that's more important, I think, than any accolades and stuff like that. Like we talk about stuff like mental health and all that sort of stuff, but like. Surrounding yourself with the right people gives you no excuses. You know, like you've got then, for me, I want a team as good as this. It's going to be tough. But if I look at the 10 years, if I've got a team that's as good as this team, everything in the middle will have been brilliant. So, um, yeah, you know, as long as I'm happy with my cooking and, you know, for the next couple of years, I just, as long as, you know, it's more about survival than it is expansion or about um, doing anything else. Like, you know, we'll get through these next couple of hard times and then we'll we'll kind of move on. And I don't want to be, at the moment anyway, I feel like I don't really want to be moving into big cities or doing anything different. I love where I live. You know, I was talking to somebody recently and I, it's like paradise. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody, <laughs> I love it. Um, so I don't want to get any bigger as a restaurant. I don't want to get doing anything else. I really want to open a fish and chip shop. That's the next goal for me. I'd love to open a fish and chip shop. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, and there's a few bits and mobs like that that kind of, I would love to have a fish and chip shop that say 10 years, you know, when I look back in 10 years, be like, yep, I've got that. Um, but, you know, as long as we, you know, it's, it's I'm so blessed and I'm, I feel so fortunate that people talk about us um, in the way that you just have really. And, um, Basically, in 10 years, I just hope I haven't ruined that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, The one thing we haven't really touched on in depth as well, I was going to say, you know, if people want to find more about Cooking Over Fire and on your topic, you've had your book out as well. So I imagine that's a great resource for more information as to if you're interested in Cooking Over Fire. Yeah, so uh, On Fire is the the book. That's the book title. Nathan Nathan, is On Fire. Um, I didn't really think I was going to be writing a book anytime soon, if I'm honest. The opportunity came up to me. I was approached. It's, so it's a, it's basically like a self-funded book. Uh, so I've published it myself with a way with media who do a lot of chef's books. But um, the way the reason I did it that way is because we could do whatever we wanted. There was no, you know, no big publisher saying you must do this many recipes. You must do this, this, and this. Um, 
and I really enjoyed it. It was harder than I thought. Like writing a book is not easy because mm-hmm. um, you kind of take for granted the knowledge you want to put in a book because you think you have it in these old leather binders that like you've had 15 years. And you're like, I'll just put all of those recipes in. And then when you read them, you're like, a recipe will say, you know, cook until done, <laughs> blend, pass, <laughs> and you're like, right, that's not going to wash. That's not helping anybody. Everyone's going to look at it and be like, what's this clown trying to do? Um, so yeah, I loved I loved writing that, and I I want to do more of that. So that's actually yeah, thanks. That's a good one for the for the future. I would like to do more of that. I would really like to do more of that, and I would also love to do more television stuff because I enjoy it. I really genuinely enjoy the process of uh, and stuff like this. Like I this is this is a world where I used to grow up listening to and watching and reading and all that sort of stuff, and now I'm writing. Doing the t- and appearing and being yeah. and you're like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. But you know, hey, but that's only down to your hard work, your dedicated dedication, and your talent. So yeah, I, you know, like I say, this was a big one for me to get you on, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate you finding the time for me, um, and I just thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to seeing your your career go wherever you like it to go because I think it'll be exciting regardless. Awesome. Thank you, mate. I appreciate you going. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, on, mate. And so we have an end of another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you to our guest for joining us. And of course, thanks to our partners. Businesses such as Le Manoir, Farncombe Estates, Beaverbrooks, Rockcliffe Hall and Swinton Park are utilising hospitality reward to aid their recruitment and retention goals. You can request a demo today by going to www.hospitalityrewards.co.uk. And if you would like to learn more about the sponsors, you can go to that same site and that will include the perks campaign. You can also email hello at hospitalityrewards.co.uk right now. And we'll see you for another episode of the show.